On the left side of the screen is John Edwards, the most important theologian to ever be born in the United States. On the right is an actor named Woody Harrelson, who at one time wanted to be a pastor. Read a book this past week where they contrasted these two gentlemen. We'll come back to that reason why here in just a moment. Psalm 119.97, David declares, How I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. Hopefully each of us, when we gather together on Sunday morning, as well as our own private time, we really do love to study scripture. We love to spend time with Christ. We love to spend time in prayer. Bradley Dean, a gentleman who used to be a, a musician, his father really caused a lot of pain leaving him when he was a child. He got into a lot of drug addiction. He said on top of that, though, he enjoyed fighting. He would get arrested for having these fist fights, assaulting people, DUIs. He'd go to jail. And this continued on for several years. I love the quote he shares here, though. What happened was different times he made commitments to change. He made commitments to family. He made commitments to God. They kept going back to the same things, and he would have these numerous affairs and have this addiction that he would keep falling back into until one day he stood before a judge, and it was a DUI that he was arrested for, and the judge said, I could send you to jail for 90 days. And Bradley said that was just something that was so terrifying, and he said, I don't know why it happened. The judge said he didn't know why, but the judge looked at me and said, I'm not sure why I'm going to do this. I'm giving you one more chance. And Bradley Dean left the court that day and said he didn't want to trample on the gift that judge gave him. That led him on a spiritual journey to say, I don't want to trample on the gift, the grace that God gives in Christ. Gave his life to Christ. Today, he, he ministers in high schools across the country. I love the quote he shared, though. A man's excuses are Satan's method of ruining his soul. A man's excuses are Satan's method of ruining his soul. Every time Bradley Dean came to a choice, he'd have an excuse why he'd fall back into the addiction or an excuse why he continued to be unfaithful, an excuse why he didn't do what he promised to do. So today, we're going to look at this picture here of what David says, I love your law. And saying, I want to follow through on the things I commit to doing and looking at something that Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 7, chapter 2, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Paul is going to contrast. There's a way the world sees. There's a way the believer sees. And the first thing he says here is we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. A mystery in scripture means something that has been divinely revealed, something revealed in the Bible. Maybe it's revealed in your own personal prayer time where God opens up an understanding to you. It's otherwise something, though, unknowable unless the Holy Spirit brings us to that place of understanding. And the greatest mystery, a verse we talk often of, is Colossians 1.27. God has made known the riches of of this mystery, Christ in you. All back through the Old Testament, they understood the sacrificial system. They understood some of the shadow pointing to the mystery. But Paul would say until Jesus rose, ascended, and then poured out the Spirit on all flesh, promising he would not just be with us, but within us. He said that was a mystery 
not understood until that happened at that Pentecost. So the mystery, the greatest mystery, is you're never alone because Christ literally lives in you, lives in me. And so when Paul says we speak the mysteries of God, he says we talk about things divinely inspired, divinely revealed, higher truth than what the world is looking at. So let's look at an example of, again, the way the world sees, the way that we're called to see as believers in Christ, now this mystery revealed. Most people know this gentleman. This is Bill Nye. Bill Nye, the science guy, unassuming man, wears the bow tie in classrooms on television, teaching science all across the country. As I say often, nobody does things in a vacuum. Bill Nye has gotten a lot more honest in the last couple of years. You see, he didn't just want to teach science. He doesn't just love science. He wrote a book here, just a couple years back, Undeniable. What's undeniable, the title he used, according to Bill Nye, is that God does not exist. What's undeniable, he says, is that evolution explains everything. And what's undeniable, he says, is he believes that faith is dangerous. We need to focus on science. Read the book this past couple weeks. I wrote down a couple of quotes as he said, this is kind of the, the turning point for his life. But again, there's a mystery revealed. And then there's that natural way to look at the world. Let's see what takes place here. This example, Bill Nye says this. Creationists say the Ark of Noah could hold 14,000 animals along with the eight people of Noah's family. Nowhere does the Bible say how many animals were on the ark. Well, let's just go with what he says here using some different Bible studies where they said maybe 14,000 species. Notice what he says, though, next. The real ship, the Wyoming, was built by the best shipbuilders in the world in 1909. She sank. First thing you'll notice, he says the real ship, the Wyoming. He's making clear the contrast. According to Bill Nye, part of what changed his mind, that coming to this conclusion, God does not exist. Reading some of the things in the Bible, he said the Noah Ark story is unbelievable. So he went and studied evolution. But notice what he says next. Since the Wyoming sank, he's going to make this contrast. Notice, if the best in the modern world could not build a seaworthy ship, how could eight unskilled ancient people? Paul says we have the mystery, we speak of the mystery, the things divinely revealed. Notice where Bill Nye makes some statements here, some assumptions that he states. He considers the best, most intelligent people to be alive today. And he says the the best in 1909 could not build a ship that didn't sink, that was very large. So how could unskilled people 6,000 years ago do it? Well, that's Bill Nye's assumption. I don't hold that assumption. I don't believe that anybody today is remotely as intelligent as Adam. Adam's son Seth was a mentor to Noah. There's no reason to think that anybody today would approach the intelligence that Noah had. Noah had contact with the son of Adam. Noah also lived for hundreds of years. We live in a culture where people think, you know, life is you watch television 55 hours a week. There's no reason to think that we can't continue to grow more and more. People just choose often not to. Imagine being Noah 
decade after decade gaining wisdom, not wasting time sitting on the, the couch and doing nothing. So Bill Nye believes we're much more intelligent now because he believes in evolution, where things went from a simpler life form to more complicated. That's an assumption he makes. Notice what he says next. At the National Zoo in D.C., zookeepers work around the clock to maintain the health of the animals. How could, again, eight unskilled people care for the animals on the ark? It doesn't seem to me they could. That's his statement there. How could those unskilled people centuries ago? Because in Bill Nye's eye, we are so much smarter today. What does Paul talk about? There's a mystery of which we speak. There's a mystery of which we know. There's a mystery that has been divinely revealed. And scripture says no one ought think more highly of themselves than they should. And God chooses to make fools of the wise by using the foolish things of the earth. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day and night, says the psalmist. Notice what happens next. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2.8, this mystery none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul goes on to say, nobody understood what they were doing in that first century. Had they known, they would have not have crucified Christ. More of the promise that Jesus came on purpose to lay down his life. He said that nobody took it from him. He laid it down and took it back up again. And all these pawns that thought they had so much power were just being divinely used to bring about the cross where Jesus could die, pay for sins, and rise again. All the, the powers like Pilate, Herod, that thought they were so smart. Again, all of this was only taking place, Jesus makes clear, by his allowing it to be so because he was coming to lay down his life for you, for me. John Lowe puts it well. The devil, which walks the earth as a roaring lion, and the legions of evil demons that serve him had no idea what God planned to do through the death of Christ. If they had known, they would never have worked to bring it about. The governors of the Roman Empire, Pontius Pilate, Herod, were entirely ignorant of God's intention. If they knew what we know, they would never have ordered his crucifixion. So again, everything took place. The cross, the resurrection, all of it, the ascension, the mystery poured out, Christ in you by Jesus' own hand. Again, what did he tell Pilate when Pilate said, don't you know the power I have over life and death? And Jesus responded, you only have the power you are allowed in this moment. You go to Acts chapter 4, they state this same thing. John and Peter got arrested. They're beaten, told not to speak in that name. And that's when Peter makes that proclamation we all know so well. Is it right for me to obey men or God? I choose to obey God. So they're threatened, told not to preach anymore in the name of Christ. They're set free. John and Peter find the body of believers in worship. Here is their prayer. God, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, the one you anointed. Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Here's the key. They did whatever your hand 
and your plan predestined to take place. Jesus willingly came to lay down his life, take it back up again. How great is love for you, for me. Nothing that took place was an accident, all part of a plan and the mystery revealed so that we can stop and say, you know what? He paid all of that, that price for us. Fascinating piece of history surrounds this lady, Princess Alexandra of Denmark, 1868. Very popular. Many people in town emulated her dress, her style, her hair. She got very sick, heavy fever. It left her crippled, and she was limping for many years after that fever. So great was her influence, though, that the women in Denmark started to limp just like her. In fact, they bought shoes that one was shorter than the other, so it would produce a natural limp. So enamored they were with Princess Alexandra, they even walked just like she walked. It's a great metaphor. Each of us chooses to follow, emulate someone. Are we emulating someone we should? Or do we emulate the things of the world? Do we emulate the higher things? Do we emulate the lower things? Brings us back to these two men. Jonathan Edward, greatest theologian ever, born in the U.S., used by God in the Great Awakening, contrasted with Woody Harrelson on the right. He's of interest because at one time he wanted to be a pastor. The reason he said he no longer chose to be a pastor is he was at Bible school. He met some believers. He didn't like the way they lived. He didn't like that he felt they were hypocrites. So he abandoned the whole thing. And in his words, he went to the other end of the spectrum. For him, that meant a lot of drug abuse, a lot of affairs. And of course, he's known as a political activist speaking out for a legalization of drugs. So according to Woody Harrelson, net worth of $65 million, the reason he's living the life he lives, he met some Christians that left a bad taste in his mouth, makes a great quote for the media that always looks for that controversy to stir up, always trying to find things to insult faith, like Bill Nye, the science guy. But is it true? To understand Woody Harrelson, you have to know this man, Judge John Wood. He was murdered May 29, 1979. Judge John Wood became known as Maximum John. He took a hard stance. He was tired of drug traffickers. So he said, any drug trafficker that stands before me will get the maximum sentence. So he started to hand out these sentences to drug traffickers. They put out a hit on his head for a quarter million dollars. This is the man who would collect that money. His name is Charles. This will be his second murder. First one, years earlier, served time for whatever reason, was let out of prison. His second murder would be to take the hit on Judge John Wood. Charles is Charles Harrelson, father of actor Woody Harrelson. Might make an interesting media quote to say he lives his life the way he does 
because he met some Christians that left a bad taste in his mouth. But the reality is something far different than that. What happens though? Again, focus on the lower things. Focus on the false things that come forth. Or do we speak of the mystery and find the truth? Like Jonathan Edwards here, a man who sought to live his life for the truth. His sermons are read today. His books still read today, even though he died 1758. I love what he wrote, though. This is something he penned called Resolved. He came up with 70 simple bullet points of what he was resolved to do. Let me read just a few. Resolved, never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. Resolved to live with all my might. Resolved, never to lose one moment of time. Resolved, never to do anything which I would be afraid to do were it the last hour of my life. Resolved to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month, year, where I could possibly in any respect have done better. Resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, frequently that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Resolved frequently to renew the dedication of myself to God. Remember the quote we started with, a man's excuses are Satan's method of ruining his soul. Woody Harrelson lives a life where he claims he's simply rebelling against some people that were believers he didn't like. A man's excuses, though. The devil will use that to ruin a soul. We need to be very honest, very clear. Everybody emulates someone. Are we going to emulate those in the light as he is in the light? Are we going to emulate things of the world? Look what Paul continues to say, 2 Corinthians, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. They are foolishness to the natural. But he goes on to say, but we have the mind of Christ. The natural, the unregenerate mind rejects anything that has to do with the Spirit of God. One, because a person doesn't have the capacity to understand, but secondly, the things of God are distasteful and unattractive to the natural man because his nature craves the things of the world, Adam Clark. And that is true whether somebody's honest about why they live like they live or they want to try to place that blame on believers. We have the mind of Christ, Paul says, and because we have that mind, we live differently in this world. That's why it's so beautiful to look at John chapter 11. You want to emulate someone, of course, to our chief Master, the King, Lord, Savior, God, we seek to emulate Christ. And notice the difference having that mind, that peace versus having something different, the fear. John chapter 11, this is where he's told that Lazarus has died. Here's what Jesus says. On hearing Lazarus was sick, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. Rabbi, they said, the Jews just tried to stone you. Are you really going back there? You read John chapter 8, 9, and 10. When Jesus preached, the religious leaders were threatened. They didn't like his miracles. They didn't like his teaching. They didn't like his following. So they, they tried to stone him, but he got lost in a crowd. They came up with plans to trap him, arrest him, 
Again, all this being allowed by his own hand. But now his disciples are afraid. Are you really going back to Judea where they tried to stone you? Here's the key we close with. Jesus answered, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going there to wake him up. There's a lot of people in the world asleep. Our job is to help wake them up. Because the mind of Christ has opened our understanding to our need for a Savior and the reality of who that Savior is. And He doesn't just live with us, He lives in us. There are a lot of people asleep falling for the lies of the world. Maybe they hear stories like on the media and they say, I heard those Christians upset somebody and that person now lives a very different life than he was committed to. Convenient excuse, but a man's excuses. Satan will use that to ruin a soul. We need to say, like Jesus, when the disciples said, aren't you afraid? No, because there's people asleep and I'm going there to wake them up. We need to open our eyes to the truth of what's taking place in the culture around us and open our eyes how we can bring the light of the gospel into those places where, again, there are a lot of people asleep. Maybe it's that person in the mirror. I invite you to hear that still small voice, take scripture, study it, reach like David, that place where he said, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. Plenty of lies in culture to get wrapped up in. There's one truth. That truth is a person. That person is Christ. There's a lot of people asleep. He wants to use you and me to go and wake them up.